Hello, Mixed Neck Cases. This is Nuke Chess, and this is an episode of Nutty Bites. It is just Tech and I today. Hi, I'm still Tech. And we're going to be talking about some obscure things or things that we think are obscure, things that we think that most people don't know about or pay attention to, but we think are awesome. Fandoms of one. <laughs> Fandoms of one. Exactly. Maybe that should be the title. Mm. I was thinking the title would be, you got to see this, but I think Fandoms of one is also a, a, a pretty fun title. So we're just going to, it's just going to be Tech and I, and we're, we're going to go into movies and media and music and art and talk about the things that we absolutely love. And we don't think a lot of people realize it's out there or currently don't pay attention to it the one thing i will mention here is that i'm not putting on my super obscure pants here and i'm not well you don't know about this obscure jazz musician from the eastern canada in 19 dickety six you know i'm i'm not purposely going out of my way to pick things that are obscure to score internet points here it's these are things that i legitimately love that sometimes feels like I'm the only person on earth that actually does like them. And when you start talking about it and you're like really excited and then suddenly you realize, oh my God, I'm doing that thing where I'm just talking about snowy egrets and nobody cares. Right. Yes. I'm doing the snowy, <laughs> the snowy egret thing again. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the whole point of this. So we're just going to share. I mean, I think everything that's on my list are all things that have gotten recognition for sure, but it's not the latest Disney Plus show. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah that right. sort of thing. So where do you want to start with? Um, You want to start with movies? Yeah. Um, And this is going to be hard for a lot of our, our listeners because over the last couple of years, you know, with the with the, the pandemonium and everything, we had movie nights with, yeah. with some of our friends. And a lot of them have learned about my love of weird and obscure and in some cases really horrible movies. So I'm going to have to bring up one of them again, mm. and that's Robot Jocks. Oh my gosh, this is two podcasts in a row. Two podcasts. <laughs> I, I got I to talk about this movie more because more people got to learn to love this thing. I agree. Um, it is a bad early 90s B-movie about giant robots in the future beating each other, but all of the robots are done through stop-motion animation, done by the Harryhausen studio who did all of those great 3D rubber monster movies from the 1960s. Um, as a matter of fact, Mr. Harryhausen himself was honored by being name dropped in, uh, Monsters Inc., the Pixar movie. When yeah. he, he takes, I forget her name, when Mike takes the, um, the monster with the snake hair. Yes. When he takes her on a date, they go to a restaurant called Harryhausen's. Yes, yes. The, the Jennifer Tilly monster. Yes. <laughs> um, and but, it's directed by Gordon Stewart. It is directed by Gordon Stewart. Uh, and it is, uh, a wonderful piece of storytelling. It has a great story. They built a great world. They have amazing giant robot monster models. Uh, and it's, it's a bad B movie. I, I love everything about this movie. I have most of it memorized. It's just, but every time I tell somebody about it, they cringe. They cringe. I cringed. I cringed before I saw it. Like, to be, to be fair, the only person in the wild that had ever heard about this movie before and knew something about it was when we were interviewing Stephen Tramontana 
of Killer Pinata. Of Killer of Killer Pinata fame of Angry Mule Productions. And don't worry, we're not swearing on this podcast. <laughs> this is actually Nutty Bites this time. Yes, <laughs> but he, um, uh, being a giant movie buff and uh, the director of Robot Jocks, being from sh- the Chicago area as well, they knew each other. Or they knew of each other, so yeah, th- there yeah. Was, he, there he, was... he's a huge Gordon Stewart fan, right? And yeah. Uh, uh, what I loved, I think, because we watched that for your birthday last year, and what I loved about it is there's this whole scene where in the robot, the pilot, he can't read, so he can't read any of the controls. So what the engineer did is he made origami. And, and attached the origami to all the different controls so that he could understand what they did. Yep. And the, that was amazing. Yeah, the, the flares was the yellow sun and then yeah. he had, you know, the different, the different weapons controls all, the symbology was all these little origami pieces stuck to the control panel. Uh, super cool little, little tidbit they put in there. And just a, a great accommodation, you know, mm-hmm. it was, I can't teach him to read. But I can still help him mm-hmm. uh, understand and communicate. Yeah, absolutely. A great movie. And they even used those symbols in like, um, I think it was his heads up when they were trying to tell him what to do. That's mm-hmm. how they sent him messages with those same symbols. It was it was just really fascinating. It was a really good movie. And I cringed. I didn't want to watch it. But then I watched it for your birthday and I was blown away. It was a really good movie. And uh, you got to give it a chance. It's a cornball sci-fi movie with uh, a kind of a weird premise and a low budget and kind of cringy effects because it's it's stop motion. It looks like a 60s monster movie. Yeah. And everybody just goes, nah, it can't possibly be. Wow, it's really good. But I, I, I love introducing people to this movie because it is really good. But I never I very, very, very rarely find people that have seen it before and yeah. certainly not anybody that loves it as much as I do. I think I watched that the first time. I think it came out. Well, if it came out in 90, 90, 90 or 91, 1990, yeah. I was 12 or 13 <laughs> when it came out. So and you probably saw it in like 92 on TV, right? No, I saw it at the video store and it was oh. big giant robots punching each other. <laughs> How could I lose? And my parents let me rent it and I watched it with dad and I've loved it ever since. That's... I must have rented I must have worn the tape off that thing at the store. I've rented it so many times. Oh man, we should do a whole episode on what were the tapes that you used to rent over and over. Well, Robot Jocks, there's one of them. We'll talk about that again. Police Academy movies. All ha! right. <laughs> so for me, uh, my movie is an an older movie that I didn't discover until a couple of years ago called Calamity Jane. Now, if you know me, you know I love the historical figure Calamity Jane. I love Robin Weigart's version of Calamity Jane in Deadwood. Well, Calamity Jane, But the we movie, can't quote any of it. No, I can't quote any of it on the show because it is very either blue or uh, full of swears. You fuzzy sock sucker. <laughs> Not even that, yeah. So Calamity Jane was put out in 1953 and it stars Doris Day as good old Calam. Oh my God, do I love Doris Day. I love Doris Day. And um, it's a musical. It is a musical. And it has nothing to do with any piece of Calamity Jane's history, except maybe that she's gay. Um, so, But they don't quite explicitly say that. They oh, they totally of- hook up the two female leads at the end with another per- with a guy. They have Calamity riding off into the sunset with Wild Bill Hickok, totally forgetting the whole fact that he dies 
from Jack McCall's hand, you know, the what do they call that hand? The dead man's hand. The dead man's hand. Aces over eights. Yes. And uh, yeah, we'll forget all about it. But the whole show is about she goes to Chicago to get a. Uh, oh, good old Chicago. To get a vaudeville singer and dancer to come to Deadwood because everybody starved for entertainment. She has no idea what the lady looks like and ends up hiring, uh, the, the, um, the assistant to the star who just wants her break on stage. And it's all about them forming a friendship and building right, because- a house together. And like any good lesbians, <laughs> on their first date, they move in together and then they clean up the place. Because all it needs is a woman's a touch. A woman's touch, which exactly. Is a, which is a wonderful hokey song in this musical. But the whole idea is that Calamity Jane is this rough and tumble cowgirl. Yeah. Who is sent to the big city of Chicago, Chicago, to try to find a sophisticated vaudeville star, uh, who is this uh, rich, successful lady about town? You know, she is a a woman of society, and certainly not anything that Kalam is used to. And there is the one scene where she's wearing a strapless dress. Yes. And golly gee, how does that thing hold up there? I've never seen a woman look like you. It's, it's, it's such a lesbian movie in the sense that we never see them kiss. <laughs> you know, cause that's, that's the, the indicator, especially if you were, you know, in the nineties, uh, in the eighties, they never kiss, but there's all that tension. But they are so completely head over heels in love with each other. And then they're like, oh, yeah. And they like men. Here's them in dresses riding off in the sunset with men. Yeah, yeah. They're not actually gay. Uh-huh. But you watch it with today's eyes and you're like, oh, my God, this is such a gay movie. I love it so much. And it, it's Doris Day. Um, it's Doris Day doing what she does best, which is uh, being funny. Physical comedy. Physical comedy and... Singing. And singing and being funny and, uh, well, gosh darn it, I love it when she does that. It's, she's, it's just so great and, and you can't help. You get a toothache from how sweet it is. Oh, I freaking love it. I love it so much. What's the movie called again? Calamity Jane. That's Calamity it. Jane. It's just Calamity Jane. And, and, and the whole time everybody's calling her Clam. Clam. Oh, it's such a good movie. Hmm. What would you like to talk about next? Let's talk about music. All right, let's jump into music. So I gotta, I gotta talk about. I could talk about artists, but then I'd be putting my nerd hat on. Well, nobody else remembers Pendulum from two thousand nine, or nobody um, remembers the first album of the Prodigy. Only the second one when they got popular. Ah, you know, I could nerd out like that, but. I just did, so we're not going to go further down that range. I want to talk about an entire genre of music that I think I'm the only fan of. Like an entire genre of multiple artists, multiple recording companies, live venues full of people I've never met. And apparently there are other fans of drum and bass music, but I seem to be the only one alive in my quadrant of the universe, it, it so seems. I don't um, know. We we had somebody come visit all the way from across the pond and was like, oh yeah, I've seen them in concert. Well, yeah, prodigy. Fish shake at Shane. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the prodigy. Yeah, yeah. But the prodigy is not drum and bass. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I thought this, he said he was. Uh, oh, okay. Continue. So you might have seen Pendulum, yeah. but uh, yet again, different different genres. Well, but yeah. drum and bass is uh, how to describe drum and bass. It's kind of like the love child of jazz and like industrial electronic music. It's kind of weird. It's 
it, it kind of splits the gamut. You've got like some levels of a hard drum and bass that are so hard it is just incomprehensible noise with a 240 beat per minute drum track in behind. And um, it sounds like a drum kit falling down the stairs. It's it's on. <laughs> it, you can't listen to it. Where, where I tend to, or I can't anyways, what I te- where I tend to fall on the spectrum is on the lighter side of it, which is called liquid drum and bass. And it's mostly jazz. It's jazz with drums in the back. And uh, normally soft piano riffs or, you know, soft instrumentals, sometimes vocals, sometimes not, usually pretty soft. And uh, songs are anywhere from 5 to 14 minutes long usually mixed together into two to four hour mixes that I find online or I listen to online radio stations where they're continuously mixed over 24 hours a day. And it's just the soundtrack that runs through the back of my head. And I like it because I can concentrate on other things while listening to music. Sometimes you want to listen to music and I'll put on an album and just do nothing but listen. But sometimes... Tubular bells. Yes, and sometimes it's tubular bells. But sometimes I want to listen to music... While I'm doing other things, and 90% of the time it's drum and bass. As a matter of fact, most video games I play now, I shut the soundtracks off and I just play drum and bass in the background because I find it more soothing and relaxing while I'm playing video games. You gave me a great um, uh, description of the music you listen to sounds like the soundtrack of Cats Running on the Savannah. Yeah, it, yeah, because the, the the drum beats seem to fall at that same pace as their feet scamper along on the ground, and when you get to a full cat running beat, you know, I, I like that. Um, it's the sound that's inside my head most times, and I don't know, I find it soothing, I really like it. Uh, I just can't seem to find any venues that play it live, and I can't seem to find anybody else in reality that actually likes liquid drum and bass. Now, there are some fans online, and... There are some, you know, people that stream it on Twitch. Shoutouts, Nate Reflect. Uh, you know, there are radio stations I listen to. BassDrive.com. You've been listening to that for since... BassDrive I've been listening to for over a decade. Oh, well over a decade. I'm trying to think if it's been two decades because... No, no. Uh, it's more than 15 years because it's before we got married. I think the station's only like 18 years old, so... Okay, it could be that. <laughs> but shoutouts to Lewis the Overfiend, one of the driving forces behind BassDrive... Listen to him on Saturday afternoons, a show called Electronic Warfare. Oh, what's the other one? Nate Reflect, location 610. No, no. the Was she in Chicago? Where was she? Oh, uh, you're talking about Wadjet. Wadjet, that's uh, it. She is in Calgary. Oh, Calgary. I, really? I She's Canadian? Yes. Absolutely. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Bonus. Yeah, does, a, does a show called The Rinse and Wash. Yes. Is she still going? Absolutely. Every Monday awesome. night. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, but, I mean. You've listened to a lot of drum and bass. I like it. Mainly because I force you to, but. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it, it works. It's fine. It's, it's not intrusive. It's not disco, thankfully. I, um, I, I do love, I think, I'm, I'm going to interrupt very slightly, but I think your turning point in listening to drum and bass is when you were actually, actually able to identify different songs from one another and that it wasn't just one continuous blend of noise. I mean, it does kind of just go on because they, they the whole thing is you're going to mix. There's no stop and start to songs, right? Um, so it is sometimes you're like, yeah, okay. But when you can start to identify certain songs, what was that song we were listening to last night? Oh, the Leave the Lights On. I yes. love that one. That one's so good. Um, it, it, there there are specific ones where I'm like, I really like that. Uh, but most of the time it's, you know, like you said, it's it's background music. It's music that keeps 
the the street noise out of your ears or the silence from deafening you and i i dig it it's cool i'm not sure i would go to a live version of hospital records like that's just not going to be my thing but you know totally be my jam but uh the song is called leave the lights on by mako there you go leave the lights on by mako i love it brought to you by suicide sheep with that's suicide sheep with three e's isn't it mr suicide sheep i've seen mr suicide sheep as well okay um so I'm going to change complete directions mm. and we're going to go back into the past and I'm cheating because it's actually two artists, but I'll say that they're part of a genre and the genre of um, middle-aged women singing about real life and singing about the the everyday struggles. And I'm talking about La Bouduc, which is a... Quebec singer Mary Travers. She did but some, not that Mary Travers. Not not the not Mary Travers from the Mamas and the Papas. Um, no, sorry, sorry, not Mamas and the Papas. Peter Paul and Mary. There we go. Sorry, uh, but not that Mary Travers. Mary Travers from the Depression era. Who went? There's a great Canadian history minute about her. She she went to record, get a recording of herself and went and paid for the recording. They didn't want her to record. They were like, what are you talking about? Does your husband know you're here? All of that. And she does this thing called turtling. 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 Thank you. It's French terms. I need the the French guy to to say them for me properly. It's not yodeling. It's not scatting. It's something completely itself. It's it's a style of... um Syncopated vocalizations, vocalizations, uh, designed to give you a bit of a beat, but you're not making, you're not beatboxing, it's not drum noises, you're vocalizing, but it's not quite scatting because you're not improvising. Yeah. But you're just, anyway, now you're turtling. It's almost like it, it's in your jeans or something. Hey, um, you know what? You put a piece of plywood under my feet and some pointy <laughs> shoes and, uh, you're, I can, you're good to go. I, I can do that too. Spoons on, spoons on my lap. There you go. And some good French Canadian foot percussion. Good French Canadian foot percussion. So, and don't forget the spoons. So Labadouk is, there's just something really genuine about what she's singing she's singing from a place of struggle she's singing about the fact that they don't you know there's holes in their shoes there's holes in their clothes the water's coming in they don't have a roof on their head but we've got to keep going there's, there's only one way through this and it's it's to continue going yeah, and, and i don't even know, speak the language and it speaks to me yeah and you know the the song that you're talking about savavnir savavnir it, it'll pass it'll pass yeah. is what they're saying um but they're talking about the great depression and you know there's a thing and there's a line in there to her husband and to his friends that uh guys um uh, a lot of people are leaving and they're going to the United States to find work because there's none here, but don't because there's none there either. So yeah. you might as well stay here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that one. Um, and so it just, it just kind of speaks to me and, and you can, you can hear that authenticity. And then there's another singer that kind of does the same thing a little bit later, uh, but down in the United States. Uh, and that's sister Rosetta Tharp. And we first, I mean, I think I must have heard of her before, but we first really fell in love with her when we found this video of her singing at a train station in the rain, rocking on her electric guitar. That's why it's a bit later. 
singing a song called Didn't It Rain. In her Sunday finest. In her in her fur coat. She's dressed to the nines. She is amazing. Sister Rosetta Tharp is amazing. Tharp or Thorpe? Uh, well, it's with an A, but it could be pronounced differently. I'm not good well, at it, pronunciation. It's, it's Tharp, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I always... Yeah, so I mean, she she was huge, just like Labadook. Labadook was like, if they had a platinum at the time, she would have been like, she would have been just the the biggest star in Canada, or at least in Quebec, in her time. Um, and Sister Rosetta Tharp, I mean, she was big. They called her the godmother of rock and roll. So that that gives you an idea of her place in history and how she influenced little richard johnny cash carl perkins chuck berry elvis presley jerry lee lewis eric clapton just everyone apparently she was touring with muddy waters through england and they stopped in manchester in 1964 and eric clapton jeff beck and keith richards were all in the audience to watch her play yeah i mean so. it, she was just she was just amazing um and she just she did things that nobody else did. But what speaks to me there is even though she's in her Sunday finest, she's at the top of her game there. She's um she's still able to sing with that same authenticity. Mm-hmm. You still feel that she is somebody that has that lived experience and it comes through that music. And that to me is what's so wild. And the idea that. You know, she's mixing this old school blues and jazz with an electric guitar, with a resonator guitar. Um, you know, she's she's changing music. Mm-hmm. She is changing music. And it's just wild. So if you can get recordings of her, it is worth it. Um, they talk about, you know, rock and roll being the uh, fusion of six different musical styles. Yeah, forming together to form rock and roll, and it's because of artists like Rosetta Tharp, you know, that brought rhythm and blues and gospel together with an electric guitar that uh, is that foundation of yeah. of rock and roll, and everything we know about rock and roll comes from people like her. Yeah, uh, she has recordings that are part of the National Recording Registry in the U.S. Library of Congress. Uh, down by the riverside is the one that the Library of Congress has, has captured and, and, and they say that it captures her spirited guitar playing and unique vocal style. Um, you know, she, she's a part of history. And like I said, these are not so obscure that nobody's heard of them. This is just, we've been digging it. Yeah. And when it comes to music, there, are, you know, as you said, you, you often want music in the background, but when you want to listen to music, you'll stop everything and listen to music. And that's something that we do a lot is, We just want to chill and we will turn on the TV, we'll go to YouTube and we will go through rabbit holes of finding music. And it's all about finding good music. And that's how we discovered a lot of her recordings that we didn't realize uh, were hers or we didn't know the depth of her, what is it, library discography? I don't know what you would call it because recordography. Mm. Um, But uh, she was pretty amazing and influential. So I think that... They're like, you know, we've got the North and the South kind of vibe of the similar, all right, this is my genre, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to share the experience of the every person. So a couple interesting things here. Yes. She was the first music artist to cross over from the gospel chart. which She had a gospel record, and she was the first one to cross over from Billboard from their gospel chart to 
what is now the R and B chart, but at the as the at the time was called race the race records chart. Oh, dang. It was 1944. I mean, it was 1944, but yowza. And uh, she was inducted posthumously into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018 as an early influence. Why did it take so long? Uh, Racism? (laughs) I'll just assume. I don't. I I, I have no no idea why it took so long. Uh, I think because they only allow in a certain number of people a year. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, she is an early influence. Like she doesn't have like a big number one hit that everybody remembers, um, except for you know down by the riverside. Yeah. But if you don't know, you don't know. And if you if you're not into that style of early music, you may you may love rock and roll your entire life and never know that you know Sister Tharp was yeah. responsible for most of it. A lot of times you 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 hear like oh well that's that old early stuff that's not going to be that interesting and you'd be surprised how many really great gems you're mm-hmm. going to be able to find and when you're listening to those record pops and uh, uh, you're thinking oh man I can't really hear what amazes me is both with La Duke and with Sister Rosetta Tharp and other people like Big Mama Thornton and all of those early recordings, they sound really good. But when I listen to stuff that was recorded in the 60s and the 70s, sometimes it's not as good mm. in the sense that like when I'm listening to, say, Cass Elliot sing, a lot of the recordings I have, I'm like, man, I wish we had a modern microphone. But there's something about those early wax recordings that they were able to capture better somehow. I don't know. But you can hear like there's the, a bit of a uh, electronic distortion on some of those later recordings. I don't know. Maybe I'm just think I hear it. And that's just what she actually sounded like. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, you want to jump into art or get into media <sighs> at large? Oh, sure. We can do art. Um, okay. I mean, I could talk about Pollock, Jackson Pollock, but... Who understands Jackson Pollock? And I certainly don't understand his art enough to talk about it. Uh, I could. The talk- only thing I'll say about Jackson Pollock is I didn't get it till I saw it in person. Um, I could talk about MC Escher, but everybody in college had MC Escher posters, so I think there's quite a bit of fandom for his style of mathematical art. I think I think if there if you, the art is sold at a dorm yeah, or yeah. at a college campus store for your dorm room, yeah. we can't talk about it. So no Ma- Monet water lilies, yeah. no Klimt the kiss, no uh, I don't know the two girls touching each other's butts uh whatever what? that is no van gogh yeah oh, you know oh no 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 they're kissing each other it's a black and white photo i think it's an anony Leibowitz. oh okay of the two girls kissing and touching uh, each other's butts yeah and the oh yeah 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 yeah. they're in their underwear yeah um yeah there's also the um uh in that same style of photography the black and white um jim morrison Oh yeah, yeah. Album cover the um, John Lennon and uh, Yoko Ono. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, I couldn't think of Yoko Ono. I kept thinking of John Lennon and Ake Bono. No, <laughs> that would and, be an interesting. And of course, one. Ake Bono is a six hundred pound Hawaiian sumo wrestler, and I would absolutely <gasps> love to see John Lennon in that same pose, <laughs> smooching on a six hundred pound Hawaiian dude. That would. I'm in. I'm in. Won't you be my Akebono? <laughs> oh, man, I need that remix now. <sighs> but uh, for art, uh, okay, I'm going to talk about my man Piet Mondrian. Yeah, Mondrian. Uh, so uh, active in the early 1900s, uh, I think. Um, 
you've probably recognized his work from the 1960s where a lot of the mod style of dress was based on his paintings. And his paintings just look like white, yellow, green, and yellow squares. And that's all it is. It's just squares on paper with black lines in between. And it's the type of art that you look at and you go, why is that worth $40 million? I can do that in my living room right now. I challenge you to try because it's not as easy as it looks. Hey, Tech, have you tried? I have, and I suck. Uh, I had a good idea, but I failed in the execution. But the thing that makes Mondrian art so appealing is that there is a proportion to all of his squares and lines. And there's a reason why the lines are as thick as they are and why the red is so bright and why the red is in that part and the blue is over there. And it's all built to a plan. It's not just a guy that drew squares on a piece of paper. It's There's a plan to it and it becomes pretty obvious when you look at it. And I don't know. I like his stuff. I, I can't explain it. I'm not an I'm not an art major. I, I never studied art professionally. I I don't understand enough about the art, but I like it and I know that I like it. And um, it's math. It's well, there's that is a big part of it. Um, I just I really enjoy looking at Mondrian's stuff. I I would normally argue and say, look, if you can buy phone cases and luggage and and all of these other things that just can't be an obscure artist. But I think that it's worth talking about because there's a lot of imitators out there and you can tell. You can definitely tell the difference between a Mondrian and and somebody trying to imitate. And it's uh you know, it's 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 definitely striking and, and you get a whole feeling from these boxes. And again, it's another one of these things. It looks great on paper and on screen, but when you see it and you're there in front of that big painting, you feel it more. There's something about seeing the art live. We haven't yet. I haven't yet seen a Mondrian live. I don't think. Uh, mm, we're going to have to get you to see one. Uh, you, have, you have uh, blessed me with the opportunity to go to many museums and see uh, you know, quite a few, you know, quite a few of the big Van Goghs and um, we went all the way through Italy. And uh, who's the guy that did the Technicolor Angel Wings? Oh, I was thinking about talking about him, Fra Angelico. Fra Angelico, got to go see the, the, the cloisters at his uh, monastery that he painted, uh, got to see two different David statues by yes. two by two different Ninja Turtles. Yes, you got to see the um, Michelangelo and the Donatello. And I got to tell you that if if you guys haven't seen the Donatello one, it's made of bronze. It's a lot smaller. And the um, the severed head of Goliath is at his feet. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So apparently we need to go to the Hague because the Hague is where the biggest Mondrian exhibit lives, which I mean, we could see one for sure. But dang, how much fun would that be to just go to The Hague and just see them all? Oh, absolutely. And while while we're in the Netherlands, I mean, the Netherlands is the size of a postage stamp. It's not that big of a country. Uh, the Giger Museum is there, too. So, But um, uh, one of these days when we go to New York, I've been meaning to take you to the Guggenheim. We haven't gone there yet. Uh, there's, there's a couple of them there. Nice. So we can go to the Guggenheim. Perfect. And there might be one in the MoMA as well. I don't remember exactly. I'm just going off memory here. Have I haven't been to the MoMA. I haven't taken you to the MoMA either. No, we've been to the Met like four times, but oh uh, yeah, not not MoMA or the Guggenheim's the weird twisty one, yes, right? That's the Frank Lloyd Wright building, right? Yes, 
Yes, we'll we'll have to get there. That is on the bucket list along with the is it the Intrepid? Ah, uh, yeah, the, it moved though. Yeah, yeah, the Intrepid moved down, uh, moved down to, uh, further down to Jersey. I know it's in Jersey now. Ugh, <laughs> it was so much cooler when it was the seaport. But yes, we have to go see the Intrepid. Go see an A twelve. Um, um, that's that's the other thing. I'm just going to put this out there. Our obscure love is museums. What do we do for your birthday, Tech? Went to the Natural History Museum. Looked at dinosaurs. Yeah, that's Duh. right. We love going to museums. That that is our thing. I mean, we've we've been to most of the museums in this town, including the Diefenbunker, which is a Cold War museum. That was wild. An awesome museum. Um, and but that's totally my thing. When I visit places, I love to go to museums. I mean. It just, I, I love museums. So that's that's another just throwaway obscure. So who's your, who's your obscure artist? So my obscure art is more of a genre of art. And that is, and again, it's a combination, um, fertility statues and fat outdoor sculptures. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of the same thing because it's celebrating the curve and the body shape of because all fertility statues are, or most of them are bulbous, rounded female bodies. Right. Um, and there's two artists that I was thinking of, and I, there may be another one that I can't remember his name, but there are two artists that I was thinking of that I absolutely love, and you've probably seen their work. So of the, the outdoor sculptures. So there's, uh, Fernando, Botero, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing right. I've only ever read it. Uh, his style is named after him. It's Botarismo. Uh, and these are all just these. He, he paints too, but he has a lot of, uh, outdoor sculptures. They're all, it's not all women. It's, uh, some of them are birds. Some of them are cats, but they're all. I love his horse. I love his fat. horse statue. Yes. His horse, horse. His horse statue looks like the Michelin man, the Michelin man's horse. Exactly. Exactly. But I just, I love, um, all of his, that, that style and the roundness it, that. Yeah. His paintings kind of look like if you inflated the people from American Gothic with a bike pump. Yes. That same style of like muted flat colors that you see. But the in sculptures a- is where everything comes to life. Oh, his horse statues are so cool. And uh, there, I don't know if you're looking at it, but there's one. It's called the hand, and it's just a big fat hand, and I love it so much. Um, I'm not sure if it's him or the other artist I'm thinking of, and I think it was in Tokyo or somewhere where they had a whole bunch of them just surrounding a park. And it, w- I, I want to go see it in person. It just looks so great. Um, but then there's a Canadian artist, uh, Rosami, and I'm gonna try to pronounce her name, Bel- Belanger or Belanger? B e l a n g e r. Yes, Belanger. Belanger, thank you. Uh, and m- most of hers, as they describe it, are round women. Sometimes they are, are um, uh, men. There's one sculpture she has. I swear it looks like the uh, character from Soul, <laughs> that Pixar movie Soul. But they are very sensual. Many of them are very sensual. They're very real life. There's uh, one sculpture that is in Montreal called The Gossipers, I think it is, where it's three women just kind of chatting and stuff. They're amazing. They are. Oh, those are really cool. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just love the the roundness of these um, sculptures. And to me, they take what I love about the fertility statues, like 
I love the Venus der Willendorf. I've done paintings of it. Um, I Which is a- this weird, it's this weird, you know, thousands of years old little rock statue of a fat female body with no head. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, um, they believe it's a self-portrait. Ah. They believe that this was a self-portrait and how would they be able to um, do themselves without mirrors? So it's all from looking down. And that's why everything's a bit larger from the from the top down and the feet are really small. It's not intentional to make it out of proportion, but more what was the artist's actual perspective. And um, they expect that this is from 30,000 years ago. Like this is one of the old, if not the oldest piece of art or at least sculpture that we have. And it's amazing. And, and it has always spoke to me. I have a friend and I need, I would love to get one of these, by the way. Um, She has a mini, uh, Venus de Willendorf on as a necklace. Like if I could have that on a necklace and just wear that, oh my gosh, I would love it. It is, it is just one of my favorite things. So these, you know, um, Botero and Belanger, these two artists and artists like them making these outdoor sculptures, making the very round kind of feels the same way. And I just really wanted to talk about outdoor sculptures because I think that it's definitely the un, unsung hero in the art world. I love outdoor sculptures. I grew up, um, NASA County Art Museum has a great sculpture garden, which I'm pretty sure I brought you to. Um, and there's just some really amazing pieces there. And just being able to walk around the art and look at it from different I, perspectives. Is I like, I like outdoor art. I like outdoor sculptures. Uh, I, I, th- I just wish that, um, they could be respected a little bit more and not one vandalized, mm. which is just a shame because it yes. ruins art for everybody. And uh, two, I wish it could be respected a little bit more by other artists. Um, yeah. For example, uh, uh, in the United States, there's that city that has in their financial market, they have the, the bull yes. statue to represent the stock market and somebody added another statue to it of a brave little girl standing up to yeah, the bull. And that was great for the, what it was trying to say. Right, except for the fact that the artist that added the little girl and completely changed the meaning of the original statue didn't get consent from the original artist or yeah. the installation to do so and changed the art with you know uh, without without permission. And that, that's, you know, you got to have a little bit more respect for your artists like that, you know? It's... Yeah, it became a kind of a thing. And I think he, the original artist was okay when it was supposed to be a temporary installation. And then it meant so much to people that they wanted it to be permanent. And then it was, oh, okay, hang on. Yeah. Um, what are we doing here? And I just put, um, I'm, I'm, I just sent you a, an image of, uh, one of the sculptures from that art museum that I was talking about. Um, also round people, but a lot more cartoony. Yes. And it's uh, very cute. Two cute little round people with smiley faces dancing on a big sack of money. Yeah, it's called Free Money. Yeah. And it's by an artist, uh, Tom Otterness. And uh, all of his sculptures. You're are going like to that. have to put this into the album art uh, so that everybody can enjoy this little picture. <laughs> well, we'll see. Because it's cool. It is cool. It is very cool. So, media. <sighs> um. Well, I want to I want to talk about something a little. I'm going to I'm going to change gears a little bit here. 
Mm-hmm. I'll talk about games. That that works as media. Okay, so a game that I know it's very popular. I know there's a fandom for it, but I'm isolating myself from the fandom pretty much on purpose because I hate them. Okay. So I got to talk about Games Workshop and Warhammer 40,000, which is a a miniatures, a collectible miniatures game. It's a war game that you play by buying little soldiers, painting them up, and then you have imaginary wars on a table by throwing dice. Mm-hmm. It's a game I've been playing since I was about 14 or 15 years old. Uh, I've been collecting the miniatures for most of my adult life. I absolutely love uh, the the lore and the world that they've built and being able to creatively tell stories with your little dollies by painting them up in different colors or coming up with you know characters and things. And I've always really enjoyed that, but... I find very few people that are into it that I, that one, that are into it, and two, that I actually want to talk to about it because I find the fandom to be so sweaty. Yeah. And they're so gatekeeping that, mm-hmm. well, your army of chosen imaginary dollies is, isn't as good as my imaginary army of dollies, and my dollies can beat up yours anytime, blah, 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 and you will, you'll never survive a game at my store. It's like, Guys, I, I just want to have fun and roll some dice. I'm looking to make friends. I'm looking to talk Warhammer. I, I'm not. And that that happened when we were moving into a house at one time. Yeah. And uh, we were getting things delivered. And and one of the movers saw, what was that big red thing? No, it was a it was a model of an airplane. It was a it was an Imperial Guard Valkyrie that I had up yeah. in the window. Yeah. And he saw that he saw the jet and wanted to talk about it. So, well, you have that army. I have this army. And by the way, you should come down to the store and play on the weekend. We all meet there. I'm like, hey, that sounds great. He goes, yeah, but by the way, you're never going to beat my army. Yeah. Like, and I was I've like, ne- I'm like, I've never met you. He goes, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win. What, what, why did you invite me? And then you're going to trash talk. You don't even know me. This is supposed to be a game. Like, imagine somebody inviting. Because this is the thing. Warhammer is like D&D with... And this is my explanation. It's like D&D without having to act out an individual story. You're doing a whole campaign. You're in charge of an army. Yep. And there's a little bit of story around it just to give you motivation to fight. But that's the game. Imagine being invited to D&D and being told, yeah, but I'm going to totally kill your character. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I know we're going to go and we're going to do the fighting and we're going to do the fun stuff. But the whole point is not there's no winning or losing even even if you're going against another army it's not about winning or losing it's about spending the day together rolling dice measuring how far they can go trying to figure out your stats and doing math yes everything's coming back to math for tech uh doing math for fun and having a good time and i just don't get the trash talking i don't get the uh I mean, even if I had somebody come over and play Mario Brothers with me, I know you're going to beat me, but let's have fun. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't play Mario Party because I think I'm going to beat you. I play Mario Party because I know you're going to beat me, but we're going to laugh the whole time. A couple of a couple of uh, years ago, I ended up making it to a game store and I was buying a couple more models that I needed. And I was talking to um, I was talking to the store owner about this type of player, this alpha dog, chest-thumping, hyper-competitive player that was kind of pushing me out of wanting to play. And um, he agreed with me and said that it's the reason that he he owns the store and he had to stop playing. Ugh. Because a lot of the players in the area had sort of ha- had it amongst themselves at this as this point of pride that they could beat the store owner. Mm-hmm. So he, this one guy chats them up for a friendly game. 
they line up their little armies, and this guy puts down a a very min-maxed, heavily researched combination of characters that are just designed to win. And they go, okay, who goes first? And the, the, the guy trying to beat the storm says, it doesn't matter. If I go first, I win on the first turn. If you go first, you won't get a second turn. So go ahead, take the first turn. You won't win. And the guy just quit on the spot right there. He's like, why am I going to bother playing you? Yeah. Well, what's the point? What's the fun? Yeah. Like, I spent the last two and a half years painting this army. Yeah. For you to just they, not have fun with every, me? Every single one of these characters has a name. Like, they all have names and backstories. You know, I went in-depth in creating all the lore, and you're going to beat me in one turn because you're, you're going to rules lawyer me to no end and come up with an unbeatable combo. That's great for competitive play. Yeah. I'm not a competitive player, and it's these hyper-competitive players that are sort of getting me out of the hobby. Like, I still collect them, and I still paint them sometimes, and I still read the books and the websites and stuff, and I'm fascinated by the lore. I just... I yep. cannot be bothered. I can't use the other expression. I just yes, you you couldn't be bothered. I could not be bothered to uh, go to a store and play a pickup game against some some random guy. Uh, and I say guy because not because a lot of girls, not, not a lot of girls play. And 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 I have a feeling, and I'm not, and I don't mean to generalize, but I think what you're describing comes from a very specific toxic culture. Yep. That generally when it's a, you see more men in these stores doing it, it is likely to happen from men. I'm not saying that women can't be toxic, but I am saying that generally when you are the minority, you do not have the power to use this toxicity. Yeah, there's there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on. And uh, I think it's keeping out a lot of people that would want to enjoy the hobby. Anyway, regardless of who they are or what they look like, uh, yeah. you know, everybody has a chance. Everybody should have a chance to play. Um, and I know the company itself is m- trying to make as many strides as they can to making their games uh, as in- as inclusionary as they can. Mm-hmm. And they've taken some pretty radical steps at their uh, tournaments and events and things to make sure that everybody's represented and everybody gets a chance to play. And they've been kicking out a lot of these racists and bigots and yeah. making sure that they and you don't... were telling me that they were founded on like this whole anti-fascist idea anyway. <laughs> that a lot of the lore is like directly ripped from uh, Judge Dredd and other ni- early 1980s punk movement, anti-Thatcher, anti-fascist sort of, you know, underground, the underground comic scene of London of the late 70s, early 80s was the foundation for a lot of the lore in this, um, in this whole series. And, and, and unfortunately what happens often is when you use an example to show, look how awful this future is and this is what we shouldn't become. And then it gets celebrated by the exact opposite of what you're trying to convey. It, 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 we see it happen all the time. Unfortunately, oh, and the other the other big influence is a same t- in the same timeline. It's a comic book from the eighties called Nemesis the Warlock. Ah, yeah, from early nineteen eighty. Um, the 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 character is the, this 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 warlock that's trying to take over the earth, and he has this line that he repeats, which is so forty k that he repeats to his people that they must be pure, they must be vigilant, they must behave. Yeah, yeah. Like ah. that's not supposed to be something we should that's strive no, for. No, no, yeah, no, 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 and that's no, the no. point. That's the point. It's supposed to be so outlandish. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Yeah. So I mean, um, you you told us why 
you don't like going to the games and stuff. But what is awesome about this that people listening to this should check out Games Workshop or Warhammer 40K4? Um, Because they've been spending 40 years writing a story. Mm. Set that sets place forty thousand years in the future, and they've had forty years of novels and books to flesh out a world that is now massive. And in all of their books, they're going to say there were eighteen regiments that landed on this planet, and then they'll name sixteen of them, and they'll leave redacted blocks in the book to not talk about the other two. And they do things like this all over the place. Oh, seven people made it on that planet. Here's the name of six of them, and they won't tell you who the seventh is because they're leaving little elements of the lore open for you, the creator, to, oh, well, they mentioned six people went down. Well, I'm going to paint the seventh, and that'll be the leader of my army. What if this seventh guy was a colonel and he had a regiment, and then I'll paint them up as the seventh dude, you know? And you've they they build opportunities for you to jump into the game. And uh, to me, I find that fascinating. You know, other things like D&D lore, a lot of the Dungeons & Dragons worlds, they have a complete universe, and they have a uh, a complete universe with you know names of everybody and all the leaders of all the countries and all the dragons and everything is already set out for you. And while that can be good, it's also a little hard to sort of figure out how you're going to fit into this world. G Dub made it easy; they they left blank spaces for you to fit in. And um, the other the other great thing about the world is that there's no good guys. There's no good guys. There's no bad guys. Everybody's equally gray and kind of crummy to each other yeah everyone's so, pretty bad so <laughs> they're pretty bad when when your army so just to explain to everybody tex army is the plague army yes of course this was chosen before 2020 and the, um the death guard the 13th legion they worship papa nurgle who will bless you with pustules and all sorts of grossness yes yes grandfather nurgle he loves you and wants to share his gifts with you he even has dice that the little instead of divots they're pustules yes and 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 the pustules are soft because it's like a soft rubber inside a hard plastic die so like they they kind of squish so he's painting puke and pus and vomit and grossness and that's that that's his his chill out time well i'm gonna steal the stage and we're gonna wrap this up with my media yeah. And that is something what both you and I share. We've seen it previously before meeting each other. Um, and that's La Linea. La Linea is a animation series buddy, buddy. <laughs> buddy, buddy. that had three seasons. There were three seasons of it. And, it, and hundreds of episodes, if I remember. There's like 50 something episodes. It's a, it's a bunch of epi- uh, 90 episodes. 90 episodes. So, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. And, but it came out between 1971 and 1986. I had to look that up. So I was probably watching reruns on like PBS or something wherever I saw it because we only had three channels anyway. But these are shorts. These they're are two, shorts. They're two, yeah. three minutes long each. So they throw them in between the cl- the, the the different shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the Wikipedia, it was also showed on Nickelodeon and uh, TVO and Radio Canada and like all over the place. So there's a whole bunch of places mm-hmm. that um, would would play it. Oh, I guess it was also on the Great Space Coaster. Okay, um, and uh, uh, La Linea. It's just there's. It's Italian, but they're not speaking Italian. La Linea, is, it's just a line. And the line changes and he fights with it. If you grew up reading Harold and the Purple Crayon, it just all kind of falls into that. Because it's it's the animator and what he had drawn 
yeah, kind of arguing it, back. Because there, there's a character, there's yeah. a little man, but it's all drawn with one thick white line. Yeah. And the little man, all of a sudden, he'll be walking along on the line, and there's a hole in it, and he'll try to jump it, and then the line will turn into a shark, and it'll eat him, and he'll be very upset at the animator. <laughs> exactly. And then this little hand, the hand of the animator will come down and erase the shark and replace it with a lion and eat him again, you know? So it's him fighting with the animator. Yeah. But... Um, it's very reminiscent to a couple of the Chuck Jones uh, Looney Tunes cartoons yeah. they've done where Daffy and Bugs are fighting with the animator who comes down and draws like Daffy in like a, like a flower costume and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's reminiscent of that, but the, the beauty of it is that it's all just one continuous line. La Linea is Italian for the line. Yeah. Um, and they're so much fun. It is hilarious. And... and- I love it because it's artistic, it's it's um, funny, it's comedy. Uh, there have been a couple of uh, music videos. Uh, you, hopefully you know which ones I'm thinking of. There's two music videos that kind of remind me of it. Uh, one, the, uh, yeah, hold on, let me get the artist's name. Anyway, that has definitely been an influence. Now... The really funny thing is when Tech and I were on our honeymoon in Italy, we got on the subway. And what is on the subway but these little TVs that tell you about train safety and instructions and what to do? And it's La Linea. Yes. La Linea is the, the, the public service on the subways. So uh, the two music videos that you're thinking yeah. of were by an Italian uh, EDM artist called Gigi D'Agostino. That's it. And the videos are called The Riddle mm-hmm. and Blah, Blah, Blah. That, yeah, yeah. Bop, bop, bop bing, beady, bop, bop. Being, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a little La Linea dude uh, being attacked by sharks. Yeah, um, it's great. It, it's a really cool video. I, I love it so much, but, uh, it, it's just something that's fun. You can find them on YouTube. Just look for La Linea, L-A-L-I-N-I-A. Um, it ha- goes by pretty much, I guess, every country that it went into and it went all over the world. Uh, basically translated it into their language of the line or line man or Linus on the line or if you want to be uh, hungry, it's it's walking dwarf or cool dwarf. I don't I don't know why. I'm it's going the only to, one that's I, different. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hop in real quick. Yeah. To correct the spelling. Oh, it's okay. La linea L A L I N E A E A. Oh, I'm sorry. See, but I bet if you misspell it, you're still going to find it. By uh, an Italian animation created by the Italian cartoonist Osvaldo Cavandoli. So yes. thank you, Osvaldo. Thank you, Osvaldo. Uh, and it's it's just fun. It's just fun. And that's that's why I wanted to share it. So that's what we were thinking about. And we just wanted to share some awesome things. Because if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know that Nutty Bites is all about highlighting what's awesome out there in the world, especially for geeks. And so that's what we got for you today. Um, anything else you want to share before we say goodbye? Uh, just that I found out that uh, I, I guess this thing that Lalinia does where he speaks in a gibberish language that kind of sounds like Italian but isn't, mm-hmm. that kind of very reminiscent to what the Minions do in the Minions movies oh, where yeah. it kind of sounds like – apparently there's a term for that. Yes. It comes from satirical theater. It's called Gramalot. Oh, or I gr- learned a or, new word. Or Gramalot. Okay. Ad hoc gibberish that uses prosody language along with macaronic and onomatopoeic elements to convey emotional and other meaning so, used in association with mime and mimicry. Can I say that I'm bilingual because I also speak Gramalock? Gramalot. Gramalot. 
Mm, I guess I would have to know what it's called to be able to say I speak it. The Canadian circus and entertainment troupe Cirque du Soleil uses it in his routines, uh, uses in its routines a similar form of language that journalists have termed circish. Circus. But Cirque du Soleil's own staff uses the word gromelot. Uh, would you say that Mr. Bean also does gromelot? Uh, no, cause, no, because he's Cause actually. He sp- mm, ah, mm, oh, yeah, but he, yeah, but when he talks, he actually speaks. Uh, no, oh, yeah, he does yes, speak he English. Does he's speak. just, he's just grunting a lot. Yes. But uh, the Minions is a good example. Yeah, that is a good example. Well, thanks for listening, and let us know what is something that is super obscure, or that you think you are, you are. It's the fandom of one. You're the only one that's a fan of it. It's not the obscure Olympics here, people. Just, yeah. just let us know. Is there something out there that you really, really like that nobody else has heard of? Yeah. What are we missing? I yeah. want to. I want to find something new. This is a selfish act. Tell me, what am I missing that I, I haven't explored yet? Yes, please. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye bye. And before we go, we want to thank all of our patrons without whom you would not get two episodes a month. We would not be able to pay our server fees. And it might be harder and harder for me to get around to doing some episodes considering my work schedule from June to I hope October will be the end of this. Uh, so thanks so much to all of you patrons, especially to our top tier big daddies. I'd love to have a big mama up there, too. Uh, thanks so much to Jax, our top patron, to Jason, to Rich the TT. Thanks, big daddies. And to our patrons of the arts, thank you to Kaylin, to Mark Cabot, to the Encaffeinated One, Melissa the Bathtub Mermaid, and Susanna. And thank you to all of the other patrons, the patrons that keep the life on the life on they, they keep the lights on and are the lifeblood of this whole campaign thank you to andy luke to cliff to grig harold hugh ian justine ken kinsey crazy joe adventures mike patrick the radical geek steve will and zachman thanks so much guys Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42. 